Good morning. And it and that's a declaration. It is a good morning. It's so awesome to be worshiping with you guys. I feel absolutely caught up in the middle of God doing something incredible, and I'm so grateful to be a part of it. And worship here this morning is just confirmation that he is moving, and he is doing something that is beyond any of us, uh, and, and yet involves each of us, which is just an incredible blessing to be a part of. I want to welcome our guests. Thank you for coming uh, to check us out, not just to check us out, but to worship with us today. Uh, it's our hope and our desire you'll be blessed, you'll be encouraged, and that you'll walk out of here today uh, ready for the week ahead, because that's the important part. It's not just about Sunday morning. It's about what God has called us to do with all seven days in the week. And so hopefully uh, you received a handout on the way in. If you, if you care to follow along through the sermon today, uh, there'll be some fill in the blanks on the back. On the front, there's some uh, there's what we call QR codes. If you're not familiar with that, all you got to do is take your smartphone out and open the camera. And if you hover it over that connect card, uh, that should take you to our guest form. But we have been having some trouble with this lately. So if you attempt to fill that out online and that doesn't work, on the table over here, we have some physical cards. And so uh, they say, what's next on the front of them? If you want to let us know that you were visiting with us today, or if you want to request prayer or request that we contact you, please feel free to either try the, the, the online code or grab one of these what's next cards, fill that out, and then just hand that to me uh, before you leave today. But thanks again for, for being here to worship with us. Um, we have been working very hard, those of you who are new, um, in December, we purchased a building in Lower Borough, the old Hillcrest Alliance. It's behind the Volkswagen dealership near the uh, Country Club. And we have been working very hard to, to renovate that and get it ready. And uh, we believe that we're on track for Easter Sunday to be worshiping in our new facility. It's just really incredible. Thank you to everybody who uh, responded to my desperate online pleas this week and had mercy on me and came out and helped. It was great to have a big crowd there yesterday, and we did get a lot of work done. So it's coming along. Um, we are hoping to have two services. on. Well, we're going to have two services on Easter Sunday, whether we're here or whether we're there. And I do think we'll be there. I don't want to put hesitation, but until that carpet is in, uh, let's just say, Lord willing. <laughs> um, but we're going to have two services, 9 and 11. We have right now 10 people ready to be baptized as followers of Jesus on Easter Sunday. Um, if we do have to meet here, that, that can't happen here, so that'll have to wait another week or so until we get into the new building. But um, we're getting the baptismal ready there, and can't wait to, to baptize those of you uh, who have made that commitment. If you uh, haven't uh, spoken to me about baptism, but you're interested in that, please let me know, and we can talk, and I can explain to you uh, what's involved with that and, and what you need to, to do to, to be a part of that. It's, it's pretty simple, um, but would love to talk to you about that. Uh, we will have some more work days this week. So here's the plan. Um, countertops are going in tomorrow, which is really cool. And uh, we have some painting to do this week. So if you're willing to come out and lend a hand with painting, uh, reach out to me and we'll have some work days this week. 
Probably Saturday, we're going to need a big cleanup day because the flooring is supposed to start next Monday, a week from tomorrow. And so we'll need to get in there Saturday, get everything out of the way, get the floors like shop backed up and get everything ready so that when the flooring folks come in, they can rock and roll and get things ready. So uh, if, if you are not a part of our online Facebook group um, through our Redemption Church Facebook page, you can contact us and we'll add you to that group. That's where we do the majority of our communicating throughout the week. Um, and if you're not on Facebook, uh, just get in touch with me and, and I can let you know when those work days will be. But we'd love to have your help. And because, you know, it's it, something as, as simple as painting and something as, let's say, unspiritual as painting and cleaning and building things is leading to incredible spiritual activity. Uh, it's been, I have had the front row seat that most of you haven't had of people who have come into the building. There have just been I think many miracles happen this week where God has been moving in the hearts of people and people have come into the building and they've been overwhelmed uh, by what they see happening, not because of the building, but because the, I think there's a sense of the purpose for that building, that God is going to use that building in the generations to come for his gospel to transform lives and for his gospel to equip believers to leave the building and go out into the community equipped with the, with the message of Christ to make a difference in, the, in this community. And so it, it's just really something special to be a part of. Thank you all for being so supportive. Um, financially, we've had a goal of $50,000 by Easter. Uh, we're within a couple of thousand dollars. I need to see exactly where we're at. We're, we're within a couple of thousand dollars of hitting that goal. We did get, as of this morning, all 200 chairs sponsored. So thank you for that. Yeah, that was really cool to see that come together. Thank you uh, to those of you who are able to, to chip in. And I know those of you who aren't able, you've been praying and, and supporting us in many ways. So thank you. All right, so that's a lot of talk about all that. Let's get into the word together. We're in the Gospel of John, chapter 7. We're going through the Gospel of John. Um, we've, we've been in John since September. We, we find ourselves in chapter 7 today. This is, it was really hard to break up last week's message and this week's message. But here's what happens in John is these, the, the passages are so long. There's, there's connecting thoughts and themes throughout these long passages. So I find myself having to break them up in awkward places. Uh, uh, and then you kind of end up with these, these messages that you sort of I'm put piecing together in my mind, but I'm trying to make them standalone messages. And today uh, was one of those times where I'm trying to take something that was really part of last week and uh, make it so it makes sense even if you weren't here last week. So we're going to be in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 52. I'll give you a second to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, don't panic. Uh, the majority of the scripture I'm going to read today, including this passage, will be on the screen beside me. All right, let's read verse 37. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And the one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Verse 40, when some of the crowd heard these words, they said, this is truly the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? 
Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem where David lived? So the crowd was divided because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the servants came to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him? You might remember from last week that the servants were sent out to arrest Jesus. The servants answered, no man ever spoke like this. Then the Pharisees responded to them, are you fooled too? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which doesn't know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, the one who came to him previously, who was one of them, said to them, Our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? You aren't from Galilee too, are you? They replied. Investigate, and you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Let's pray as we look at the word. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to take upon himself our sins our debt owed to you, our holy creator, and to bear the punishment for our sins on his own body and to suffer in our place, indeed to die in our place. But I thank you that you rose him from the grave on the third day with your resurrection power and that now all who believe in the name of Jesus, who trust in him for salvation, might be saved for eternal life and have our sins forgiven. In this we rejoice and we ask that through us our world would hear this message. Give us believing hearts and believing minds. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this point in Jesus' ministry. Now he's back in Jerusalem. Uh, the last couple of chapters he had spent some time in Galilee, the northern part of the country of Israel. He's, he's back in Jerusalem now for this festival. If you're familiar with um, Old Testament it, uh, Israel customs, there were several festivals throughout the year. These are very important religious gatherings where they would get together in Jerusalem and, and celebrate the things that God had called them to celebrate. And, and during this particular festival, things are really starting to heat up with Jesus' public ministry. The Pharisees and the, and the leaders, the religious leaders, are, are becoming very disturbed by the amount of people that are believing in Jesus. And so they've, they've actually sent uh, pol- policemen, essentially, to arrest him and to put him on trial for the things that he's saying. Remember, we said this a couple of weeks ago. Jesus has committed no act of violence Jesus has not stolen anything. He has in no way physically harmed anybody. The only thing that they are finding him or finding guilt in him over are his words. And so they literally want to put him on trial. And if they have their way, execute him simply for the words that he is speaking and the claims that he is making. He's becoming very divisive among the Israelite people. As we saw in our passage here, many are starting to believe. There's, there's two different um, titles that John uses throughout his gospel that the people give to him. The prophet, which is an, an Old Testament figure that was, was expected to come and to lead Israel. And the Messiah, which was, an old, was prophesied in the Old Testament to come and to be their savior. And there are many different ideas of what the Messiah is going to do and how he's, how he's going to come. And we see some of that playing out in this passage. 
People are beginning to believe. They're saying, this is the prophet. This is the Messiah. Others are saying, no, 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 but the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee. Little do they know. You know, they say instead the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. They don't know that Jesus actually came from Bethlehem. And so the, there's this tension between the people and the religious leaders. And then there's those people caught in the middle who were sent to arrest Jesus. They come back without Jesus. And the religious leaders are like, well, where's he at? Why didn't you get him? And they're like, we don't know what to do. We've never heard anybody speak like this. And the Pharisees get frustrated and they're like, oh, you're just like the rest of the crowd, accursed, ignorant, stupid. You don't understand what's going on. And then they say, you don't see any of the Pharisees believing in him, do you? And then one of them sticks his hand up. You might remember Nicodemus from John chapter three. And Nicodemus says, well, why don't we give him a fair trial? Let's do due process here. Okay, so that's our passage. Let's break down some of the things that we can observe from this passage. First, I want to focus on Jesus' words. This is the first thing you'll see on your handout. Jesus offers his followers something that only he can give. Soul satisfaction. It, I don't know if that phrase works for you or not. Maybe you can translate into that that into something that, that resonates better with you. But the point that I want to make is that Jesus is, he's making himself more than just a good teacher. He's making himself the only source of true life. He's declaring that if you want to be satisfied, if you want to have life, if you, he's, he's saying things like, if you want to know the Father, you must know me. He's making these outrageous claims about himself. And now he's offering his followers something that truly only he can give. And that's soul satisfaction. Verse 37, let's look at these first couple verses again. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out. Remember, when you see when it says anywhere in the Gospel of John, Jesus cried out, that means he's making a public declaration. Lots of people would hear this. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. And he said this about the Spirit, John tells us. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And we'll talk about that in a second. But let's talk about this idea of living water. Is going to, if you're thirsty, come to me. What's interesting, the reason John points out that this is on the last and most important day of the festival is because this was a festival that celebrated God's provision, uh, um, namely in, in terms of the harvesting of crops. And so they're celebrating that God has provided. If you've ever had to depend in any way, shape, or form off of natural resources that you could, let's say, influence by yourself, if you've ever had to live off the land in any way, shape, or form, in other words, if you've ever been out of the position where you just go to Walmart or you go to Aldi or you go to Giant Eagle and get whatever you need, but instead you need to actually grow your own food and you need it to actually rain and you need the sun to be out at the appropriate times. If you've ever been in that position where these things didn't just miraculously come to you, I mean, now we have them delivered to our door. 
I mean, I don't, I don't, we don't even get out of our car to grocery shop anymore. We sit out in the parking lot and we're like, hey, we're here. Go ahead and put everything in our car. This is a far cry from how the overwhelming majority of human beings have ever lived. People throughout human history have needed God to provide through the natural means that he has ordained. Rain and sun and soil and those types of things. And so part of Israel's calendar year was that once a year they got together and they celebrated that God had again provided. And one of the ways that they celebrated that, listen to this, they would take water from the pool of Siloam there in Jerusalem and they would fill up these big jars and they would pour it out as an offering to the Lord. Saying a couple of things. One, you have provided this water and we're giving it back to you as worship. But we're also saying that we trust you to refill and replenish the water that we're pouring out. They're essentially, don't take this the wrong way, they're essentially wasting it. They're not wasting it because they're worshiping with it. But it's no longer useful for growing crops and for drinking and for sustaining life. It's basically just going to be absorbed into the ground, right? So they're, they're, they're pouring this out saying, we trust that you will replenish the water. Now, this is hard for us to get into because we live in Western Pennsylvania. In Western Pennsylvania, water is so abundant, it's a nuisance. It gets into our houses and that's a problem for us. <laughs> like there's so many places in the world, they would love for water to just come through the walls of their house. <laughs> but for us, we hate it. We, we're like, get this water out of here. We have water everywhere. You, you understand, if you've, if you've been to more arid parts of the country or more arid parts of the world, you understand the preciousness of water that we take for granted. And so we have to, we have to travel in our minds to a different place. And in the land of Israel, water is a precious commodity. In fact, water is the difference between life and death. Think about that. It's the difference between life and death. A couple of years ago, I had uh, a really cool opportunity to actually go to the Israel and to go to Israel and experience some of the land there and some of the sites and, and take, take some of this in. And one of the most memorable things about that trip to me is when I was in the more arid parts of the country. So in, in Israel is about the size and shape of New Jersey, if that's helpful to you. Okay, um, if if uh, if you go to Burrow, you, you, maybe you don't know what New Jersey is. It's one of the United States. It's next to <laughs> next to Pennsylvania. I'm just teasing. Um, it's a, so Israel, the land of Israel is about the size and shape of that. And there's this sea at the top part of the country, the Sea of Galilee. And then there's a river that flows out of the Sea of Galilee towards the bottom of the country, the southern part of the country, into the Dead Sea. And it stops there. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. Water flows in, but it doesn't flow out. And, and because of that, the, the water is actually, does not actually sustain life. And maybe you've seen pictures of people floating in the Dead Sea. You actually literally can go and you can just sit in it and you float. Okay, so because of the, 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 the saline and stuff in it, so, or the salinity of it. So in between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, you have that river, which honestly, it's a creek, or um, since we're in western Pennsylvania, a crick. Um, it, it's this small stream. It really is. It's called a river, but it's just a small stream. And so along that stream, you have life. 
you have things that grow because there's water there. You literally go a couple of hundred yards away from that, and it is the driest, deadest desert you can imagine. Water is the difference between life and death. And this is the landscape that they grew up in. And and when I was there, I experienced the uh, oppressiveness of that heat and that dryness. Uh, uh, Having spent all of my life in Western PA where I never had to think about where water was going to come from. I never had to think about uh, the the life-sustaining power of water. It was just always there. I mean, if you walk around in the summer here and you start to get dehydrated, you just open your mouth as you walk. And the humidity will just rehydrate you. But there, water you're not even sweating because the water is evaporating instantly off of your skin. And I honestly, as I was hiking out some trails. There's some places where you can go where, where um, there's good evidence to believe that David uh, hid out in some of these caves when he was running from Saul. And there's some places where they think this might have been where he wrote these certain Psalms and things like that. And so you're hiking out these little trails in these sort of desert mountains. And I literally had the thought, I could die out here today. It's that dry. If I don't pay attention to how much water I have, and where I'm going to get more water, I could die in one day. Now, I don't know if that's accurate, but that's how I felt. That's, the diff- that's what water is. So for them to pour out water in a climate like that is an incredible step of faith to say, God, we trust you. So it's door, that's the context of Jesus. So they're literally doing this. They're pouring out water as a celebration, as part of this festival. And Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing from deep within. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? If, the different, if water's the difference between life and death, and Jesus is saying, I'm the source of water for your soul. He's not literally handing out bottles of water. What do I got here? What is it? Silver Falls. Never heard of that. That doesn't sound good. Where's this at? New Jersey? <laughs> Cheswick. Oh, no. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's not literally handing out bottles of Silver Falls water. He's speaking about soul satisfaction. He's speaking about if you want to live, you need to come to me, the source of life. If you go anywhere else, you won't be satisfied and you won't live. He's the only source of soul satisfaction. He's the only source of eternal life. He's the only life-sustaining source for your soul. That's it. And if you have him, you have that. And if you don't have him, you absolutely do not have that. You can have all the money in the world and you can have all the friends in the world and you can have all of the, everything that this world has to, there's a saying that says, if, if you have everything but you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. But if you have nothing 
and you have Jesus, you have everything. That's what Jesus is saying. Are you thirsty? Does your soul need something that this world can't offer? Here I am. Come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. I love the way Jesus pulls in from his, his context, his environment of what they're doing. And he just makes himself a living illustration of what they really need. They're worshiping God. Hey, you provided this water. We trust that you'll provide more. And Jesus is saying, yep, I'm right here. Living water. Water is the difference between life and death. Jesus is the difference between life and death. So how does he do this? How does he offer soul satisfaction? This is where things get a little bit complicated and complex, but it's important for us to think about this. The next thing on the handout is this. He does this by sending the Holy Spirit to live in us. How does Jesus give us soul satisfaction? Because you have not seen Jesus nor heard Jesus in the way that they did. But many of us would say, I know Jesus. Well, what do you mean you know Jesus? How do you know Jesus? Jesus literally has not set foot on this earth for 2,000 years, and yet you claim to know him? You claim to see him or to hear him or to experience in him, him in some way? How can that be? Well, I'll tell you how that can be. He tells us how that can be. He sends the Holy Spirit. Let me go back. This might be confusing from a slide perspective, so don't try to keep up. Um, when John said in verse 39, he said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So John's adding some commentary to the story. John, writing from the perspective of decades later, is filling in some gaps. Why did Jesus say that streams of living water are going to flow out of those who believe in him? And John, John's given us the answer. He's saying, because if you keep reading the book, Jesus is going to tell us that he's sending the Spirit. So we're going to jump ahead to John chapter 14, and I want to read 15 through 21. Jesus is speaking about the Spirit in John 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. That's another word for the Holy Spirit. To be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. That's interesting. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. Okay, at this point in John, uh, at this point in the gospel of John, Jesus is starting to talk a lot about the fact that he's going away. And his disciples are getting nervous. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father. You are in me, and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. How does anybody today know Jesus? Because Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do in John 14. He sent the Spirit. You know Jesus because of the Holy Spirit, if you know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, it's because you don't have the Holy Spirit and know the Holy Spirit. So 
I, it's, you know, nobody, we get into this idea of the Trinity and everybody has their different way of understanding this and all this. And the reality is, is it's just a mystery. And that's okay because lots of things in this world are a mystery. Uh, those who, who claim, I don't accept anything that I can't understand, well, then you're in pretty bad shape because there are so many things that you can't understand, all right? So there's, there, we shouldn't, I shouldn't say we shouldn't, but we don't, we, we don't need to have a problem with mystery. Mystery is okay. Mystery means that there's something beyond us. There's something greater than us. Who wants to live in a world that Fred Neal can rationalize and understand? That would be a bad place to spend your life. We live in a world that is beyond our ability to understand and beyond our comprehension. And part of that is the reality that God is triune. That he exists as one God in the form of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see all three of those persons represented in this passage. So what the way this is revealed in Scripture is that the Father remains in heaven he sends from heaven the Son, Jesus, to the earth to accomplish our redemption through his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection, okay? Jesus, though, is going to leave. Forty days after his resurrection, he leaves the earth to not have returned. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Like, think about a place where you've been and something significant happened, but you haven't been back there for a long, long time. Uh, I'm just, just trying to think of any, I went to California probably almost 15 years ago now. One time I went to California, cool place. I went to San Diego, great place. I haven't been back there for 15 years. Jesus did all of this significant stuff on earth. He literally has not been back to the earth for 2000 years. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. What he has done, and, and this is where it's different than me going back to San Diego because he's God and he does exist differently than I do. But what he has done is he has sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus at one point actually says, it's better that I go away because if I go away, I will send the Spirit. And the, one of the benefits, there are many benefits of Jesus leaving so that the Spirit can come, is that we all have the Spirit within us simultaneously. That's what he teaches right here in John chapter 14. You know God through the Holy Spirit. That is your experience with him. Um, we say things like, I, I received Jesus or I accepted Jesus into my heart. Sometimes we say things like that. Um, what you really did was you believed in Jesus and the Holy Spirit came into you. Uh, Jesus is still where he's been for the last 2,000 years at the right hand of the Father. So, uh, so this is how Jesus does this. He does this by sending the Holy Spirit to live in us. Listen to the language that he uses. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. God has created us in a way that we have a physical being uh, that is inhabited by a soul or a spirit or perhaps both. How, there, are, there are a couple of different ways of understanding. Are human beings made up of two components, body and spirit? Are human beings made up of three components? And, and then those three components vary. And there's even some things that maybe there's four components and yada, yada, yada. It, it, the, the most basic way to understand it is that we are at least two components, body and soul. 
God has created us in a way that his soul or his spirit can actually inhabit our bodies and, and live in relationship with our spirits. So the Holy Spirit indwells us in a way that creates intimacy and close relationship with God himself. As a believer, God himself comes and dwells within you. Now, that doesn't always produce what we might expect it to be. We're like, well, I feel kind of the same. Maybe you feel a little bit different. I remember when I came to Christ, I was like, you know, I came pretty dramatic events that led to me accepting Christ. And I remember waking up the next morning and I'm like, am I different? I don't know what happened. Like, that was real. I feel I have sort of different desires of what I want to go do now, but I feel a lot of the same thing. And then, and, and then as, as you grow and, and learn to interact with that indwelling Holy Spirit and to develop that relationship with, the, with God, your creator, and your savior, you grow in that. And so sometimes it's dramatic experiences and feelings, and you're like, I know God is with me. I know God is in me. You understand that I know this all sounds sort of strange. It's impossible for us to understand how these things work, but I really want to emphasize that they happen. Jesus makes this clear. He will be in you. Verse 20 says, on that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Here's the Trinity, including us. You're with us. You're part of us now. You belong to this 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 holy community of Father, Son, and Spirit. He has welcomed us in. This is unbelievable. And one day, when we leave this earth, we'll experience the fullness of what all that means. But for now, I just want us to know that that is how great salvation is. That God invites us into that holy community of the Trinity. And that in some way that I don't know how to explain, I don't even know how to, I don't understand it myself. He dwells within us. And his life dwells within us. And the difference, between, the difference between life and death is Jesus living in you through the Holy Spirit. The one, so he says in verse 21, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. How do you know Jesus? Because he went away, sent the Holy Spirit to reveal God to you. That's what he did. It's unbelievable. It's miraculous. Okay. But the next thing on the handout, instead of believing in him, so here's Jesus, the one who gives soul satisfaction, the one who offers life, the one who welcomes us in to the community of the Godhead, the one who promises to send the Holy Spirit to live within us and and to give us eternal life. But instead of believing in him, many refuse to accept him. Why would they do such a thing? Let's look at, well, I'll give you a second to fill in those blanks. But instead of believing in him, many refuse to accept him. If we go back to our original passage in John chapter 7 here, 
we see this play out. And again, this, a lot of this is sort of bleeding over from last week. Last week we saw similar uh, responses to Jesus. We're going to see this ongoing throughout the, the next couple of chapters of the Gospel of John. But in verse 40 it says, When some from the crowd heard these words, they said, This truly is the prophet. So they're believing. Others said, This is the Messiah. They're believing. But some said, Surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? They're doubting. They're, I mean, that's a fair question. I'm not saying their intentions are evil. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But, but they're like, they're not convinced. Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem where David lived? That's why the gospel of Matthew goes to great pains at the beginning of his gospel to tell us how Jesus descended from David. You know that genealogy at the beginning? That's why it's important because people had this question in that day. Isn't he supposed to be an offspring of David? Isn't he supposed to, that's why the, the gospel writers uh, tell us that he was born in Bethlehem. He actually did fulfill these scriptures. They just didn't know it then. So the crowd was divided because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Verse 45, then the servants came to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him? The servants answered, no one ever spoke like this. Then the Pharisees responded to them, are you fooled too? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which doesn't know the law, is accursed. The irony of the Pharisees calling those who believe in Jesus accursed when it is they themselves who don't understand the law and are accursed. But this is the way it would play out. Let me just say this. i got to move quickly through this. It's a dangerous thing to reject Jesus. But it's an even more dangerous thing to stand in the way of others believing Jesus. That's a scary place to be. That's like being between uh, a mama bear and her cubs. You don't want to be in between in the way of somebody believing in Jesus. In fact, Jesus would say in Matthew 18, listen to these words. They won't be on the screen. Just listen as I read. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe, who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. I didn't really know what a millstone was until I saw one and it was like a, literally a round stone this big and weighed hundreds, maybe a thousand pounds. And I thought, wow, you tied that thing to my neck and threw me in the water. I'm going down real fast and I'm never getting out. Woe to you, it goes on to say, woe to, woe to the world, I'm sorry, because of offenses, for offenses will inevitably come, but woe to that person by whom the offense comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell fire. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't let anything get in the way of you believing in Jesus for eternal life. Whatever you have to do, get rid of it. Whatever you have to give up, whatever it takes, 
Whatever it takes to gain eternal life by believing in Jesus. And certainly don't be one of those ones who keeps somebody else from believing. Don't do it. Don't let anything get in the way of you coming to Jesus. And for sure don't be the reason that someone else doesn't follow Jesus. That's a scary place to be. Let me move on to the last point for the sake of time. The last thing I want to say from this passage is this. Now is the time to hear Jesus out and consider his claims. Right now. This can't wait any longer. You need to give, if you're on the fence about Jesus, or if you've already made up your mind that you don't believe in Jesus, I want to invite you to reconsider Now is the time to hear Jesus out and consider his claims. Verse 50, we're back to our original passage in John 7. Nicodemus, remember, Nicodemus was one of the guys who came to Jesus in the beginning of John's gospel in chapter 3. That's where we get John 3.16 was out of this, the context of this conversation with with Nicodemus. And, And Jesus told him that he must be born again. And we don't know how much... Nicodemus believed at that point, but here he shows up a few chapters later, probably a year or two later uh, chronologically, and he's the one. He's a member of this religious, uh, the religious group of leaders, and they're all in unison that Jesus is not the Messiah, he's not the prophet, that the crowd is wrong, and Nicodemus speaks up. Verse 50, Nicodemus, the one who came to him previously and who was one of them, said to them, Our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? And they get mad. They say, you aren't from Galilee too, are you? Investigate, and you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee. I think their own words are amazing. Investigate, and you will see. Because the truth of the matter is, is if you investigate, you will see that he is the Messiah. Countless people have set out to prove that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, only to become convinced that he is the Savior of the world and to be saved by him. So investigate. Open the Bible and read. Read his word, read the gospels, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, read these books, read Jesus' own word, put him on trial. Read this gospel of John from beginning to end this week, if that's what you need to do, and decide for yourself, do I believe this is true? Investigate and you will see. Now is the time to hear Jesus out and consider his claims. James 4 says, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while then vanishes. Instead, you should say if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, so it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. You don't know what your life holds. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. So now is the time. Now is the time to consider the words of Jesus. Give them due process. Read for yourself. You don't listen to another word that I say. 
Open the Bible and read what Jesus himself had to say. Open the Bible and read what his contemporaries, what those who witnessed these things had to say. Life is too short. It's like a vapor. It just, and it disappears. You know, this, this whole thing about vaping that's so popular right now. I'm not advocating that anybody try this, but if you do already do this, or if you see somebody do this, when you see that, that literally that vapor come from their lungs and go out into the atmosphere and so quickly disappear, remember, that's exactly what the Bible says your life is like. It vanishes. Tomorrow night I do another funeral. I don't know how many funerals I've done since I went into ministry. hundred maybe. And it just never fails to make you stop and think. You don't know when. You don't know when. I've done enough funerals and I've lived enough life to tell you not everybody grows old and dies of old age. Almost nobody does, in a sense. You don't know. Now is the time to consider. Now is the time to respond to the gospel. Let's pray together. I want to invite the worship team to come up and get ready to lead us in worship. But as you close your eyes and begin to think about your own, your own relationship with Jesus, if you've not made that commitment, if you've not... If you've not come to Jesus for salvation, I don't know of a more appropriate time than right now. Jesus tells us to come if we are thirsty and to have our souls satisfied. And not just that, to have our sins forgiven, to be given eternal life. Without Jesus, we're just wandering around in a desert with no water to drink. But with Jesus, it's streams of living water. Never-ending streams of living water. Life upon life upon life. If you need that life, come to Jesus today. Come and receive him for salvation and place your faith and trust in what he did on the cross for you. Let's pray. Father, if there's any here who want to receive your son today for salvation, God, I pray that you would come into their life like a stream of living water. Give them new life. Take away our sins. Give us a fresh start. Give us eternal life. And may these streams of living water flow from us into the lives of the people around us. And God, may no one here be in the way of somebody else believing in Jesus. Instead, may we help them come to you. Instead, may we be used by you to communicate this message and to demonstrate the gospel for them so that they too might believe. And God, we know there are 150,000 people within 20 minutes of where we're sitting right now, most of whom, most of whom do not know you for salvation. They need this water. We live in a land surrounded by water, yet spiritually is a desert And people are thirsty, and many of them don't even know it. God, would you grow our family? Would you grow your church? Would you use Redemption Church? Would you use the other churches around this area who believe the gospel and who are preaching the gospel? God, would you build your kingdom here?
And may we transform this area and transform this community with the gospel message. Return this nation to you, Lord Jesus. And may it start with us in our own hearts today. We love you and we thank you. And we thank you for this chance to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.